take your Bibles and turn with me to Job chapter number one. Job chapter number one. And I am going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Bible. We're going to look at a, a few verses here, and uh, we'll read them responsively. I'll start off, and then, but we're not going to read straight through, so just kind of stay with me. What we'll do is uh, I'll read verse 1, and then I'll read verse 6. And if everybody could join me on verse 7, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Job chapter number 1, the Bible says this in the first verse. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. I'll read verse 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them, joining me on verse 7, then through the rest of the chapter. Ready? And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Hast thou... Uh, thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job, and said, The oxen were plowing, and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them, and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet spaking, there came also another, and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands, and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose, and rent his mantle, and shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then together on verse 22. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Father, I pray that you would bless the message this morning. And Lord, this simple truth that you've given to me, I pray that it would be a help to your people. Lord, it's helped me in the last couple of years as I've thought about it. And now to preach it for the first time, God, I pray that it would be communicated in a way that would please you. 
Lord, we absolutely need your help and presence and touch on this service. I know, I know this message is for somebody and perhaps for many people. And so would you give us ears to listen? Would you bind Satan? Lord, we've seen his activity already in this passage of Scripture where we've, that we've read. Lord, as we think about this service, he would, he would love to distract and discourage. And uh, Father, I just pray that you would uh, bind him and, and give your word free course as it's preached. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. I did a study in 2020 on the life of Job, and it was a lengthy study that, that took place there during that COVID time, and, and uh, what a great time to study, you know, the trials and temptations of Job, but I did a study back then and found a lot of good stuff in the book of Job. Some, some of the things I've preached here and other places, and there's a few truths that have just been rattling around in my mind, never really developed, never really... Um, outlined and preached, and, uh, and this is one of those truths. It's been rattling around in my mind for a while, and uh, maybe when the service is over, you'll say, Brother Judah, you need to keep that one rattling around, but uh, I'm going to do my best just to give you a simple truth this morning. Of course, we read in the first chapter uh, the trials of Job. They're well-known and well-documented. We understand how Job did nothing wrong. As far as we could tell, he was a, a perfect man, not perfect in behavior, but mature. He was upright. He was a man that feared God. He was a man that uh, tried to avoid all appearance of evil. Truly, he could say that he hated sin. He eschewed evil. That was Job, and Satan attacked Job, and God allowed it. And, uh, and we see the attack, how just about everything that could be taken from a man other than his own life was taken from Job. Chapter 2, his health is taken. Of course, in chapter number 1, his family is attacked and uh, his wealth is destroyed. You think about uh, those things, how in just a day, in just a moment, uh, they were taken from Job. If you read, if you go on to read chapter 2 and 3, all the way through uh, the middle of the book of Job, you'll find that Job's three friends came to him, and, and they sat with him, and they began to talk to him. And all of his friends had an opinion. At first, they sat there, and they didn't say anything. By the way, that's probably where they should have kept it, right there. They should have just sat there and not said a word, but eventually all three friends would open their mouths and all of them had a very similar take on Job's trial. Job would say to them, miserable comforters are ye all. He said, man, you've come here to help, and you've been miserable comforters. Eventually, they would speak, and, and they, would, uh, they, they all felt like Job had done something wrong. We'll get to that in a moment, but their take on Job's situation was Job you must have some secret sin. You must have something that you're hiding. And so he said, miserable comforters are you all. And now I want you to turn to Job chapter 38. We'll spend the rest of our time there. And I want you to notice the first five words of Job 38. Just the first five words, and it's, it's kind of the direction that I'm headed in this morning. Job 38, verse number one, the Bible says this. Then the Lord answered Job. 
Then the Lord answered Job. I've got a title for the message this morning, and it's just simply called Waiting for an Answer. Waiting for an Answer. Then the Lord answered Job. Have you ever tried to get an answer out of somebody and and it was difficult to get an answer? Have you ever been in a spot where you were looking for an answer and uh, it was hard to get an answer or the answer that came wasn't the answer that you were looking for? How many of you can identify with me on that? If you've ever called uh, customer service at an airline, man, that that has to be the most frustrating thing uh, that I encounter on a a basis, on a monthly basis, just to to have a, a problem. I can remember one time and I won't go into the whole story, but one time I was having terrible issues uh, with the United flight and just delayed, and I'm not going to get into it all, but it was bad. And I wanted an answer. I wanted a refund. I wanted something. And, uh, and there was no real answer to be found. And so uh, I went to the website to try to send an email, and the little chat box kind of popped up, and and I think it's all AI, I don't know, but at the time, I didn't know any better. I thought it was an actual person, and uh, you know, we're here to help you and to save time. What is your problem? And typing in, you know, whatever my issue was, and and then to have it automatically respond, we're sorry to hear about that, and just going back and forth, taking like 10 minutes to figure out, I don't think that's an actual person, you know? (laughs) That's just a computer feeding me just nonsense, (laughs) and uh, uh, but it's hard sometimes to get an answer or you don't get the answer that you're looking for now my wife is here and I wouldn't embarrass her for the world that being said (laughs) I don't know if I've told the story or not but if I if I have just bear just 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 hang in there with me I can remember the day that and it was a big day it was monumental it was it was the day in our dating relationship that uh, that I was going to tell my wife you know, those, those, those words, I love you. And that was, that was big. Now, if you've been raised in the system, all right, you know that uh, that's, that's a big deal. You don't just throw that around. You know, I love you. Now, I was not raised in the system. And uh, about a month after meeting my wife, I told her, I said, hey, I really like you. And when I said that, you know, that, that like bypassed a few stages. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Many of you do. And I just casually said, I really like you. And uh, I found out later that she thought, man, I was moving too fast and we might need to, it might not be the will of God. And so when I found that out, uh, when it came time to say, I love you, I waited a long time. We, we had our first date on April 4th, 1998. In May, I told her that I liked her and sent all kinds of red flags but, uh, but in July, we were watching fireworks with her mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And, and we were there in July, just a few months after our first date. And we were, man, it was, it was romantic. We're watching these fireworks go off. And I'm sitting right next to her, you know, and inching a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Just enough. But uh, uh, anyhow, but, uh, I had the thought... While those fireworks were going off, I had the thought, man, I love her. And the thought occurred to me, now would be a perfect time, Brother Roy, for me to just lean over. Of course, her mom was there. Her dad was on the other side. But somehow, if I could get through the obstacles, now would be a perfect time for me to lean over and say, I love you. Because I did. Still do. 
And I knew it right then and there. As that lone firework went up in the sky and I saw, it just was saying, Abdel, now is the time. But something inside of me said, man, it's too fast. You're going to scare her off. So wait, just wait. And I waited for one year. I went 12 months and wait, didn't tell her I loved her. We, we dated and just did all of that, you know, <laughs> 20 years old, writing notes. I like you so much. <laughs> and uh, passing them back and forth. <laughs> Read between the lines. <laughs> you know, I love you. I love you. No, but uh, we were, uh, I, I waited. And I waited until the 4th of July the next year, and I had it planned. We're going to go back to that same spot. We're going to write, we're going to watch those fireworks. And sometime, now it's right, it's been a year. And I'm ready, I am ready. And I am gonna lean over and it is gonna be perfect, perfect, perfect. And we got there and, uh, and the fireworks were going off and uh, more than once a firework went off and I thought, man, do it now, do it. And I would lean over and uh, chicken out. And I'd look back and, and this happened through the whole firework display, you know? And, and I, just, I, just, I just couldn't do it. It's like I was frozen in concrete. I could not say it. And, uh, and as we were leaving, I felt like such a loser, you know, like, man, man up, Judah, but I couldn't do it. And, uh, and I said, well, we're going back to our house and uh, we're going to play some games there and, uh, and I'll do it then. The, the right time will happen right then and there. By the way, my mom knew that I was going to say it. She was waiting and uh, this is pre-cell phone, or at least I didn't have one. And uh, she was waiting for my call. You know, I was going to stop at the Walmart on 30 and 41 and let my mom know. She couldn't wait to know what Minda said. And, and uh, we had it all planned out. So we get to the house, we're playing games. And, and there were several times then where it's like, just do it. But I, I couldn't. And I walked out of the house that day feeling like a failure, like, man, this whole thing was planned, and I didn't say I love you. And I'm walking out of the house, and I got in my car, and I leave. And now this part of the story, and she's, she's, she already knows what I'm going to say. And, and uh, in our married life, we've been married 20 years, in our married life, this is probably the most disputed thing. I have my side of this story. She has her side of this story. They do not match. She's welcome to be wrong at any other time, but, but, you, but, but my side of the story is what happened. And some of you men in the room, you're going to, it only makes sense. My version of this story makes sense. Ladies, you know, maybe it makes sense to you, her side, but this is what happened. I get in my car and I'm driving off and I'm feeling like a failure. I'm thinking to myself, how could you not tell her that you love her? I mean, what is going on? And I look off into the sky and I see a lone firework go off in the air over that centier bank there, like in St. John, you know, on 41. I, I, I saw this firework go off and it was like God said to me, Abdel, turn the car around, man up, it's now or never, go tell her that you love her. You've waited a year, you know. I know the rules of Hiles Anderson, but the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and uh, get in there and get it done. And so, and so I turned the car around. And I drove back and I marched up to her house and I knocked on the door and she answered the door and she's standing there and I said, Minda, uh, and I, look, it was, it was difficult, but I said, I love you. And instead, and in my mind, 
I thought she was going to fall at my feet, you know. I thought she was just going to gush out, I love you too. I thought maybe she would say, you know, I wanted to tell you since that first 4th of July, but I didn't, I had it all built up. But this is what she said. I said, I love you. She looked at me and she said, are you serious? And then, and this is the part that's debated, she shut the door on me. Now, if you were to ask her what happened, she would say that I knocked on the door. I said, Minda, I love you. She did say, are you serious? But then she says that I just mumbled and, and reached forward and slammed the door shut myself. That doesn't make any sense. I could hardly move, let alone reach forward and slam the Why would I do that? Gentlemen, how many of you are with me? How many of you think she shut the door? Absolutely she did. I drove back to that Walmart. <laughs> Boy, talk about the walk of shame, you know. Thank God for cell phones. You can just send a text message, you know, failure. <laughs> and, uh, but I walked back to that Walmart. I, I went to the payphone. Remember that? Man, you know, it's sticking to your ear. And, and, uh, but I went to the payphone and I dialed my mom and she said, how'd it go? And I said, she didn't say anything. Oh no, well, what did she say? Mom, she said, are you serious? What? <laughs> and, uh, that was on a Saturday, Sunday, and, I, and by the way, you talk about a miserable night, man, I need to preach, I do have something to say, but uh, you talk about a miserable night, man, you go the whole night just thinking my whole, everything is broken, and I was, you know, what's going on, and I came to church the next morning, remember over in the Jack Hiles, it was packed out, and we had a certain spot in the balcony where we would sit, and I sat on the other direction, couldn't bring myself to sit with her, couldn't bring myself to, I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know the status of the relationship, and I just kind of avoided her that day, and as I was leaving, she caught me somewhere, she kind of knew the path, and, and she said, I love you too. And I thought, oh, yes, and uh, that's good. And, and a lone firework went off in my heart. No, but, uh, but an answer. Sometimes when you're looking for an answer, it can be hard to find, or when you're looking for an answer, it's not the answer that you want to hear. Now, that is a comical illustration, but there's nothing comical when the doctor comes and says, I have bad news. There's nothing comical or funny when layoffs happen and you can't find a job or maybe the business isn't going the way that you had projected it to go here in the next five years and things seem to be falling apart. There's nothing comical when as a parent, you've done everything that you knew to do, everything. I mean everything, and yet they're making decisions and choices that are taking them away from the scripture and away from the house of God, and you sit there at night and you say, why is this happening? Looking for an answer. And you're looking in the face of a loved one in a coffin, and you can't figure out how this could possibly be the right thing. I mean, you believe in God and you trust the providence of God, but when you're there and you're looking at that face of a loved one and they're not with you on this earth anymore, you want an answer. I can remember going to the Skyline Diner, Cicero Avenue, just as a young man right there. The Skyline Diner is not there anymore. They've long since torn it down, but... But it used to be there right on the corner of uh, Cicero Avenue and one of those roads there by Midway Airport. But I could remember going there and my dad taking me there and him looking at me and, and saying for the first time there in that diner, son, uh, I'm not coming home tonight. 
explaining to me that he wasn't going to be coming home. That his, his bags were packed and him and my mom were having difficulty, which I already knew, but I never thought that it would result in a separation. And I was a young man sitting there and just trying to make sense of it all and, and not understanding it and wanting an answer. My wife reminded me this week that this year, my sister would celebrate her 50th birthday. She'd be 50 years old this year. She's, she's not going to celebrate a birthday here on earth. A couple of weeks after getting here, I was wanting my sister to go to the lady's home, and she struggled with addiction her whole life and, and her, her whole adult life. And, and here I was coming home. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm going to come back home. And, and uh, this church has addictions programs and even a place where she can stay. And this is going to be the time. Man, I remember calling her and asking her if she would join the program and her saying yes. And, and, and me saying to her, look, I'm just let me get on the ground and get things figured out and we'll get you in there. And I said, Melissa, I'll be with you every single day, every single day. I got on the ground here and no sooner unpack the U-Haul, then my mom called me and said, your sister's at St. Francis, Metro South, now it's called, actually it's abandoned now, but St. Francis Hospital in Blue Island, and you need to come see her, and I never did have a conversation with my sister. For two weeks, we sat, maybe a week, but for a period of time, we sat in that hospital room and watched as my mom had to make the difficult decision to unplug the machine, and she would go off into eternity. And I can remember driving home, Brother Herzl, and thinking to myself, man, I've given my whole life to serve God and uprooted and coming here and it's the will of God and I know it. And, and I thought one of the things that would happen was my sister would finally get the victory and here we are just a week or two into it. And I can remember driving back alone and crying and in so many words just saying to God, God, why? Why? Please give me an answer. Somehow we feel that if God would just give us an explanation, if he would just say, this is why it happened, that we would feel better about it. I know people who go through a large portion of their lives asking that question, why? Why were they taken early? Why did they leave? Why this stroke? Why uh, this difficulty? And friends, you can look at Job's life a lot of different ways. But this morning, I want to look at it this way. He spent 37 chapters looking for an answer. 37 chapters. Of course, every page in the book of Job has a question mark on it. You go anywhere in the book of Job and just look, you'll see question mark after question mark after question mark. 37 chapters. All of this had come upon Job. He's looking for answers. He's searching for answers. And in chapter 38, the Bible finally says, then the Lord answered Job. In chapter number 23, uh, we can see Job's despair. Uh, tell me if this, if you can identify with any of this, but in chapter number 23, he says this, verse number eight, behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. Verse number nine, on the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. I mean, for 37 chapters, Job is looking for answers. For 37 chapters, he's saying, God, where are you? I've looked everywhere. 
everywhere, God. I've looked on the left hand. I've looked on the right hand. I've looked up. I've looked down. I don't seem to sense your presence. My friend, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where you're just looking for God to give you an answer? I want to try to help you this morning. And this isn't a typical, you know, Brother Judah message, but I just want to try to help you with the Word of God this morning. If you're sitting here right now and you're looking for an answer, maybe something happened a long time ago and there's no answer. Maybe something is fresh and, and you've looked everywhere and you can't seem to find an answer. I want you to see some things. The first thing I want you to notice is this, the timing of the answer. The timing of the answer. Chapter 38, verse number one, then the Lord answered Job. When did the answer come? Then. You see, you and I often want an answer right in the beginning or maybe right in the middle. But if you see the timing of God's answer to Job, uh, the answer came after the trial. We would say something occurred and then this happened or this happened and then that happened. And in Job's life, the answer came later. You need to understand that there may be a period of time where the answer is not coming to you. There may be 37 chapters of your life where you're sitting around saying, God, I don't know why you did this, but I want to encourage you today to realize that a chapter 38 is coming. Then the Lord answered Job. It wasn't in Job's timeline. It wasn't on Job's timetable, but it was in God's timetable and in God's time that he finally gave an answer. This answer came in Job's life after Satan had touched Job. We read about it in chapter number one, how, how Job did nothing wrong, but Satan came and, and, uh, and touched Job. And, and that's when the answer came. You say, Brother Judah, I don't like the idea that God gave permission to Satan to touch Job. You ever read that and think, man, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that God allowed Satan to afflict Job. And, and I want to say with you, I don't like it either. Now, as I've been thinking about this and, and it's been rattling around in my brain, I can say this. While I don't like the fact that God gave permission to Satan to touch Job, I do like the idea that Satan had to get permission. I do like the idea that Satan can't just randomly come up to us and afflict us without God lowering a hedge of protection. Man, I thank God for the hedge. I'm glad he watches out for me. I'm glad the angels of God are camped round about me and the protection is there. And when something happens in my life, I may not understand it, but I can know that God in some way has allowed it. Where it says Satan came from to and fro, to and fro. I was reading a commentary, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I liked what it said, so I'm going to repeat it. Uh, they said that that to and fro means this, that Satan was looking for someone who was fit for the fight. Fit for the fight. You know, maybe you're going through something, and you say, Brother Judah, I, I don't think I can handle this. I feel overwhelmed. No doubt this is a satanic attack, and, and no doubt this is like a flood that's crashing over me. I want you to know that I believe you are fit 
for the fight. You can make it through the trial. God has never given or allowed more than you can bear, my friend. The Bible says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. If a trial has come into your life, you can know this. God has looked at you and God has said, this person is fit for the fight. They can handle it. I'm not going to give them more than they can bear. And there are times when you don't want to get up, but you should get up and realize that God's grace is sufficient for you. He told Paul three times, my grace will suffice. My grace will suffice. And finally, the third time he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. The answer came after Satan had touched Job. And some of us just need to hang on a little longer. Man, we might be in chapter 23 right now saying, God, where are you at? But chapter 38 is coming. Then the Lord answered Job. Came after Satan had touched him. It came after Job had exhausted all of his resources. You ever think about that? Job's wife had failed him. Job just cursed God and die. Now we give Job's wife a hard time and I, I, th I don't think we should. I really don't. I, I, I have a hard time believing that Job married a woman that wasn't right with God or that didn't love God. Here's a man who's perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. I have to imagine that Job's wife was right there with him. Matter of fact, he even said to her, he said, you're talking like one of the foolish women. In other words, this isn't like you. Why are you saying that, that that's not like your character, Mrs. Job? Uh, what are you saying? But friends, be careful how you judge her. I believe Job's wife was just broken. Hey, your children are gone. Hey, your wealth is gone. Hey, all in the same day, your husband's health is afflicted. I believe that we can get to a point like Job's wife uh, where we're broken. Something came up and then another, then another. I can't imagine what it was like for Job, Job's wife. I've heard people say that tragedy comes in threes and oftentimes it's one thing after the next and no doubt Job's wife had experienced this, but when Job uh, should have found some comfort there, she wasn't there. Job's friends. And again, we can give these guys a hard time. But, but I think in some ways it's unjust. Uh, Job's friends came around. And, and I want you to know three things about Job's friends. Number one, they took the time. Number two, they paid their own way. And number three, uh, they sat with him. And sometimes when you're trying to help somebody, those are three pretty good things. Just, just take the time, pay your own way, buy a lunch, just sit there and sit with them. Uh, Eventually, they opened their mouth, and that was a problem. They should have just stayed quiet. But they eventually came, and when they should have been friends, and when they should have uh, had something positive to say, they said, Job, this must be your fault. When people suffer, I want to say something, and I want to have something to say, but most of the time, what I say would be better left unsaid. People don't always want you to say something. They just want to know that you're willing to hear what they have to say. I can remember in West Virginia, Minda, you'll remember, I don't want to say his name, but you remember Chris. And 
Chris would come to my office sometimes. He was a member of our church in West Virginia, and he would come by the office. And man, I could always tell when Chris came, he just, he wanted to talk. And he would sit down in my office, and he would talk about everything. Sometimes it was difficult things. Sometimes it was just Bible things. But I mean, he would talk for hours. He would talk. There was a big guy, you know. There was no getting away from him. I had a small office. He'd open the door. He'd, st- he'd stand on the door. I, mean, I was just stuck. And he would talk and talk and talk. And my answer was always the same. I mean, after a while, I would just, I would just say to him, yes, sir. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, that, that's it. He'd go on for two and a half hours like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When he was done, he'd say, Brother Judah, thank you. You helped me so much. <laughs> and all I did was just say, uh-huh. Yep. Yes. You know, sometimes people, do, they're not looking for your wisdom. They just want to know that you're willing to hear what they have to say. Psalm 130. I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Didn't say he answered, said he heard me. God said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of the people, and I have heard their cry. My friends, when you're in the middle of it, when you're going through it, when you don't have an answer, rest assured that there is a God in heaven who sees you and who hears you, and the answer may not be what you're looking for, but at least he's there, and at least he's listening. At times when I'm looking for an answer, I can take comfort in knowing that my God sees me and hears me. And by the way, lest you be a miserable comforter, (laughs) you're helping somebody through a trial, it it might be wise to just sit there and listen for a while. Let's not do what Job's friends did and say, man, what's wrong in his life? Look, I've got to admit, can I just be honest with you? I... It doesn't happen all the time or even most of the time, but there have been times where I've seen somebody go through a trial and I've thought to myself, huh, I wonder what that's all about. Now, friend, before you take that attitude, you might just want to remember that that could be you someday and you're going to be looking for people to have some mercy and compassion. The answer, the timing of the answer. I I need to rush. So let me just say this. Let's get to the answer, the mystery of the answer. When God finally speaks, it is not the answer that Job is looking for. It's not even an answer on the surface that makes sense. It is not the answer that Job was expecting. Watch this. It is not an explanation of why all these things happened to Job. One thing we know about Job is he didn't have the book of Job. One thing we know is he couldn't turn back and read for himself exactly why all of it happened. And so uh, the answer that came, it was mysterious. Don't you think it would have been better if, if God would have looked at Job and said, Job, here's your answer. One day I was sitting on my throne and Satan came and he was looking to tempt somebody and I sent him over to you, Job, because you're fit for the fight and I know you can make it. And so that's why, don't you think that would have been a better answer? But you know, that is not the answer that God gave to Job. He didn't explain anything. You know what you and I need to come to grips with, my friends? You and I need to come to grips with the fact that there might be some things in our life that happen that we never do get an answer for. 
There might be some questions that are left unanswered until we get to heaven. We might just need to take comfort in the fact that, man, we've got a God who loves us, who does right, who's just, who's hearing, who can give grace, and we don't really need an answer right now because the answer that God gave to Job was a mysterious answer. But I want to say this about the answer. It was a truthful answer. Now let's look at it. Let's dig in. God is speaking directly to Job here. Some commentators say that God is speaking to Job's friends, but he's not. God is not speaking to Job's friends, and God is not speaking to Job's wife. He is speaking directly to Job. Verse chapter 38, verse number one, then the Lord answered Job. If you go to chapter 42, verse number seven, uh, the Bible says, here I beseech thee, and I will speak. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong reference. Chapter 42, verse number seven. And so it was, uh, and it was so, that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job. So God is giving Job a truthful answer. He's not giving him an explanation. He's talking right to him. And I'm just going to say this, friend. The answer is not what Job wanted to hear. The answer is what Job needed to hear. And basically, look at chapter 38. It says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? He said, Job... You're talking about things that you don't, you don't know anything about. Job, you're asking questions that you, can, you wouldn't even be able to understand the answer, Job. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? See, God says to Job, he says, you've been asking me some questions, and I'm going to ask you some questions. You've been looking for some answers from me, Job. Now, I'm going to ask you for some answers. And look at what he says in verse number four. He said, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Verse number 12, hast thou commanded the morning since thy days? Verse 16, hast thou? Verse 18, hast thou? Verse 21, knowest thou? Verse 22, hast thou? Verse 31, canst thou? Verse 32, canst thou? Verse 33, knowest thou? Verse 34, canst thou? Verse 35, canst thou look at verse 39 wilt thou look at chapter 39 verse number one knowest thou verse number two canst thou verse number 10 canst thou verse number 19 hast thou verse number 20 canst thou and on and on it goes god looks at job and he says job uh, where were you job what can you do job uh, what do you know and the answer to all of those questions is this god Job, were you there when I laid, when the foundations of the earth was laid? No. Who was? God was. Job, do you know uh, about these things? No. Who does? God knows. Job, are you able uh, to fix this problem at all? No. Who can? God can. And God takes a few chapters to remind Job uh, that he doesn't know anything, that he can't do anything, that he, he wasn't at these places, but God was. And so the answer is this. God says, I'll tell you who was there. God. Who can do it? God. Who does know? God. And what God was saying to Job was this. You don't need an explanation, Job. I am the answer. You don't need for it to all be laid out for you as to why these things happened. What you need, Job, is you need me. Uh, you need to crawl up and get close and, and, and get to know me because I'm the answer. Everything that comes into my life that takes my attention from myself and puts it back on God is good for me. Now that's a mouthful. 
And I've, I've had to, listen, I wrote it and I looked at it and I looked at it and I looked at it. But I believe it. Everything, everything that comes into my life that takes my attention off of me and turns my eyes to God, it is good for me. Job, you don't need an explanation. You need me. You need me. My friend, you're sitting here this morning looking for answers, and maybe you're, you're in chapter 32, 33. You've been going through it. You've been looking at God saying, where are you at? Why don't you give me an answer? I just want to say to you, maybe not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, what I need to hear, what we all need to hear. The answer is you need to get as close to God as you possibly can. Don't run from him. Run to him. Don't make the mistake of bailing out. Uh, get all in. Uh, get a hold of this Bible find a place of prayer, get to know God. You say, Brother Judah, I, I just don't think that's going to satisfy. Really? Why don't you turn over to chapter number uh, 42? You say, Brother Judah, was that answer enough? Look at it. Job himself said this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do any, everything. That no thought can be withholden from thee. Look at verse number four, Job speaking, Here I beseech thee, and I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. You know what Job is saying here? He's saying this to God, God, teach me. Teach me. He's saying, uh, I'm going to, I beseech thee. He's saying, uh, 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 I'm demanding, declare thou unto me, teach me, God. And then he says this, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Have you ever, have you ever asked a child something and that, that, or a child has asked you something, you gave an answer, and that answer just fostered another question? Have you ever done that with your children? You know, Daddy, why? Why, you know, do you preach so long? <laughs> because I want to. Why? Because, you know, I don't know, but it's just endless questions. You know, sometimes I wonder if God gave us the answer we were looking for, if all it would do is bring another question and another question. If somehow God spelled out the trial and why we were going through it, if all that would do is cause us to say, well, what about this? And what about that? And, and what about this thing over here? My friend, uh, we need to trust God. The answer is, I trust you. I don't need an explanation. I just need you. Job didn't need to know an answer. Job needed to know God. I heard this this morning, and it fits so well with the message. Corey Ten Boom said this about problems. When I look without, I am distressed. When I look within, I am de depressed. But when I look to him, I am at rest. Man, you're going through a trial right now. And I just told you the answer is get as close to God as you possibly can. Maybe say, God, teach me. She said, when I look without, I'm distressed. And who wouldn't be? You look at this crazy world. When I look within, I'm depressed. Man, I've been there many times going through a trial, looking at my strength, looking at my ability, and just saying, you do not have enough to make it. She said, but when I look to him, I'm at rest. And my friend, the answer that you're looking for is an answer of peace, and it is only found when you look to him. God is your answer. 
Get a glimpse of him. Find satisfaction in who he is. Friends, don't spend 37 chapters asking questions. Get as close to him as you possibly can. You'll find some things. You'll find that he sees, that he hears, that his grace is sufficient, and whatever answer you end up with, it will satisfy you. Say, Lord, teach me. Teach me. Waiting for an answer. I've been there. I've been there, so have you, many of you. My friends, can I encourage you to get a glimpse of Jesus? Get a glimpse of him, and like he says in 42, you'll, you'll want more. 